Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Miami Nice. I am Blake Howard, one of the co-hosts of this show. I'm joined, as always, by my partner in crime, Katie Walsh. Hello, Katie. Hi. This is a very special episode. With, a very special episode. <laughs> I mean, with we've had such a wonderful run, a strange run, in fact, of incredible people reaching out to us on this show. It's just kind of been organically happening um, and all really instigated by the brilliant Bill Ibiri. Uh, reaching out, finding out more about the show and wanting to come on and be a part of it. We have not yet really, Katie, had an opportunity to talk to anyone that we could call a true insider of this entire production. Oh yeah, this is a real insider. But but Jafet Gordon, who is a writer, director, actor, filmmaker, uh, tinkerer with special effects um, as well, if you follow him on his socials, um, and you can see all that in the notes, uh, was actually in fact a, a runner before becoming Colin Farrell's assistant on Miami Vice 2006 for the entirety of the production was in, in this show essentially for somewhere between 14 to 18 months of his life and was the launching pad for him to move into other parts of his career. And he wanted to come on and share. So as you would imagine, Katie and I were pretty excited. Um, we're so, I mean, <laughs> if you cannot get Colin Farrell, this is like the closest memory keeper of the tales of Miami Vice. And in if fact, we're going to be real, the assistant of Colin on on set. And I think we can say perhaps a more accurate account because yes. Jaffet <laughs> is not necessarily under the influence nearly as much as Colin say. So a little bit. A, a little bit. <laughs> Just, we were we were He so, would happily admit it. <laughs> and he does in the show in a couple of times. We are so thrilled to have him on the show. The reason you're getting this intro and not just his introduction, which you're about to hear, uh, is because Jaffet has a couple of other projects on the boil. He could, it was only available for a very specific time and it was kind of late notice by the time that Katie and I could get him. So I started out this interview. This special episode of Miami Nice is a two-parter because there is too much good stuff. To <laughs> too, <just> much <laughs> too much tea. Too much stuff. To be contained in one episode. So firstly, you guys are going to hear uh, from Jaffa and I beginning our conversations. We're going to conclude uh, right in the process of Katie joining us together. Uh, and then you will hear Katie and I uh, pick his brain about the remaining uh, things that we had, you know, on our list, uh, our wish list to ask him. But Katie, you've, you aren't a stranger to what is said in the coming no. Almost an hour of interview <laughs> that is happening, right? You're not a stranger. You've you've familiarized yourself. Do our yeah. do, do our listeners, have... <laughs> our Miami nice heads, have have something in store for them? There's such a treat in store. First of all, I just <laughs> want to say I'm so sorry I was not there for the first half. Sometimes scheduling a oh. podcast across <laughs> continents <laughs> from LA to Australia can be challenging, but we do it very well usually. And you know, every now and then we have a hiccup, but. Um, yeah, so I got to listen um, to the conversation that Blake and Jaffet have, and it's so fascinating. Jaffet is great. He's just such a lovely guy with great memories, great stories, and um, he's got a really good you know, perspective on all of it, on this crazy journey that he went through as like a 24-year-old PA on Miami Vice. Oh. I think all of us, you know, have either been in that position <laughs> in some capacity, not on Miami Vice, but, you know, being the new kid and trying to figure things out in a very high stakes environment for Jaffet. So um, it's such a fun conversation and uh, I, I know you guys are going to enjoy it. I, I would just say also, and, and I, I, I'm so grateful for the incredible guest list that we've had on this show. And, you know, for, for us, a huge bucket list get on Miami Nice was uh, the incredible uh, Kim Masters, who mm -hmm. wrote the piece. Now, that show gave us, like, unfathomable insights to that production from a very particular outsider's perspective. And I guess I can just wholeheartedly say what you're about to hear today in these next or in this episode and then a little bit later in the next episode jobs is never <laughs> before heard about this show about the production of this film publicly before 
It True, is. and it's not the studio PR. We're making a comment Jaffet, uh, on this. It is Jaffet like I was out there about the show via a YouTube comment. Right? It's not. <laughs> this is uncensored, unfiltered, and I mean, strap yourselves in because it's eleven seventeen on a Saturday night, baby, and we're about to just drop you into this thing. So enjoy yourselves. Uh, you'll hear from us at the end of this episode in the wrap. Uh, but, man, strap yourselves in. Pour yourself two mojitos <laughs> and uh, get ready. <laughs> Not just one. She's right. Yes. You're going to need two. <laughs> Ooh, you know fresher than whole. Riddle me that. The rest of y'all know where I'm lurking at. Can none of y'all mirror me back? You hear me rap? It's like Angie rapping his prime. I'm young H.O. Raps great for dead. Back to take over the globe. Now break bread. I'm in Boeing Jets. Slow Express. Out the country with the blueberries. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back. It is 11.17 on a Saturday night. And look, I'm in the middle of a sting. And yet, something pops up on my phone. Something compels me to look at my phone. And that is a message. I'm an actor and writer in LA, but my first gig in Hollywood was as a PA on Miami Vice. I worked in every department, but spent 13 months as Colin's assistant. Now, this made my brain explode so much that... Katie and I had to have an emergency discussion. The lovely Katie Walsh is not here right at this moment with me. Such is the importance of this person reaching out. It is profoundly amazing to be talking to another person uh, about Miami Vice who actually based on those credentials, is more of an authority than any other person we've spoken to on Miami Nice so far. It is my distinct pleasure to welcome a filmmaker, a writer, a teacher, does actually some very fun tutorial uh, tutorials about different special effects uh, uh, things currently now on social media. And since I started following him, since we've been arranging this catch-up, I've been following all his amazing videos. It's Jaffet Gordon. Jaffet, welcome to Miami Nice. Thank you so much for being a part of the show. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, I uh, I reached out. Uh, I found you your your world, your whole universe <laughs> uh, through you know a Vulture article and clicked on some links and eventually like I I said these people are diving into this like movie that is very obscure. A lot of people still, <laughs> when you say Miami Vice, a lot of people still think of the TV show. So, like, knowing that there's a, a group of people who took the time to make a podcast about this movie that, yeah, I, I mean, I feel like I saw from the inside out um, in a way that most people didn't get to. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm just happy to be here. Look, that... This is I'm sorry movie. I interrupted your steam. Wait, you said you were having a steam. <laughs> no, uh, no, not a steam. Sting, sting. Oh. I was in the middle of an operation. You know, we, we you know, just, just like our, exactly. our budding like heroes at the beginning, like Crockett and Tubbs. I'm in the middle of a sting and my phone goes and instead of Alonzo, it is your... I thought you were fancy as hell, Blake. I thought you were saying, <laughs> I was in the middle of a steam. I'm having caviar. And here's my phone bothering me that, again. That's a very Eddie Marzan move. You know, that like coiffed hair, like loose fitting clothes. There like in the that, condo. So that, that, that up there in the condo, he's definitely got a steam room. There's no question. But I think that's canon. We can def definitively say that. But look, this is a movie that's shrouded in so much like, it's sort of dripping with uh, behind the scenes stuff, uh, different actors at different levels. And for whatever reason, it didn't resonate. And I think the one thing that Katie and I have been doing in this show and all the people that we've been talking to is reminding people contextually about this, which seems kind of crazy in 2021. Movies are now mined, or IP movies are mined for long-form television shows. And old television shows also are being mined for new television shows on new streaming services and new things. Just IP in any form is being mined for our streaming world. 
Yeah. But back in the early 2000s, there was a weird phenomenon where famous 70s TV shows were all being refreshed and rebranded, usually made into like funny comedy movies. I guess the like the flagship one, I'm really sorry, Miami Vice, but the flagship one's like Charlie's Angels, you know, Drew Barrymore, Lucy, Sarsky and Hutch, like those same era. And so what we've discovered is that like these 70 shows are coming out. And so in keeping with those things, you know, Charlie's Angels probably nailed the spirit. Sasuke and Hutch knew there was no spirit to mine more that it was just a big silly exercise. Another excuse to watch Owen Wilson and Ben Stiller just like kill it together on screen. Have a bit of silly fun, whatever. Snoop Dogg, Huggy Bear, like let's go. Yeah, and there then, was, a, and you can see an avenue for a spoof Miami Vice. Like, bring the pastels and the cocaine, and let's get fucking Will Ferrell. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it could that, be one of those. Like, totally. Like, it, you can almost see the pitch. They're like, oh, they just rubber. You feel like they rubber stamped it on the expectation rather than the reality. And I think a lot of fans who, you know, maybe were like, oh, what is this? Like your action movie, Jamie Foxx, Colin Farrell, go check it out. Miami Vice, oh yeah, you know, maybe just even pop culture literacy had come into them and they had that meta language, oh, pastels, drugs, fun, right? Mm -hmm. And then you get this very insanely romantic, deeply horny, uh, hugely specific and just like insanely detail orientated, like real portrayal of like post 9-11 um international crime syndicates and <laughs> and no one wanted nor expected it so not only did it have that it then had some controversies it then had this weird thing where it was like oh this is of a bygone era it didn't have the best response but even right back then there were really amazing critical voices scratching at the door the first two that i can think of that just like blow my socks off are people like manola dargis um huge friend of the show and uh, Jean-Baptiste Leray, a very recent guest on Miami Nice, one of the most um, amazing international film critics in the world, currently in France with Michael Mann as we speak. He sent me an email, um, uh, people listening, uh, to promote his new book, um, Mirages of the Contemporary. And, but now, with all that scene set, I just need to hear everything you've got. Like, I just like, I, I feel like I'm Pacino right now. Mm. And and you're Albert, and I'm shaking this table, and I'm saying, Give me all you got! Listen, Give me all you got! Yeah, I mean, uh, where to begin? Um, How yeah. did you get on this movie? Because all right, obviously, so I, because I, I went, think, can you dispel, because I think, oh, just for setting your scene, filmmakers, you just, you get a start somewhere, you got to do yeah. something, you get, yes. a, you would have learned a ton of lessons, PAs. There are so many amazing filmmakers who started their life as a PA, a runner, whatever the case may be. How did you get that start in Miami Vice? How did that all happen? I know you're you're a Miami boy, right? Yeah, it's a world of circumstance. So I went to uh, film school, college, uh, what you would call uni. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I got a degree in film production. And like, I was just, it was like three months out of film school, I was trying to get a job on any set just like you said, to hustle and, and find a foot in the door. And a friend of mine offered me a job in the locations department. So for those of you out there that don't work in the film industry, you know, one of the early parts of prepare of pre-production on any movie is finding locations. Um, and you don't want to send your whole Hollywood crew out to where you're going to film on location. So you hire local people to help in the locations department. So there was a local locations like they did Miami commercials and like modeling stuff, but they they had a connection with Hollywood and Michael Mann's office was looking for like location. So I was on as early as that, where we were like sending photos. This is pre, so this is 2000, you have to go back in time to 2004, 2005, right when the wow. year, and there's like the cell phones are, are everywhere, but there's no smartphones, right? Yeah. This is pre iPhone. Uh, so like, you don't really use the internet the way we do now. It's, it's weird. I'm so old. It's weird to think about. No, no, no you're, you're not. We would take photos and print them of like locations. And my first encounter with Michael Mann was getting, uh, you know, NFG written on like photos that were sent back from Hollywood. No fucking good. <laughs> right away. It was that my first experience with him was like, D your photos suck. So like get better at this job. And I, was, I didn't know. 
<laughs> so I spent a lot of like time, like knowing about the lore of this guy who was coming here. And everyone in the locations department was like, this is Michael Mann making his opus. He started in TV, This he, he produced a show back in the eighties and he's it's full circle for his career. You know, he really wants to make his sexiest movie ever. That was talked about a lot in pre-production. This has to be sexy. Like it really wants to be that. Um, and then, so, like, like I'm working in locations and production people start coming. Literally, I'm not gonna say a lot of names, but like literally one of the department heads gets off of an airplane and is like. Hello. Right now, Jafet is oversharing a little bit. So we are just going to skip over that and get to the next bit. <laughs> it was that kind of show back in, so this is pre Me Too, pre like Weinstein, like, everything was very like like get in there kid you'll figure it out and a lot of the anecdotes i'm going to tell are, are going to seem so inappropriate in light of where we are now as a working oh production world but yeah it was it was the wild west it was crazy so all these hollywood people start landing and coming into town and i'm just a local miami kid who knows his way around and when you're from hollywood you just want him to like i'm supposed to get to this hotel where do i go i mean there's not even gps in the car so I'm very important all of a sudden because I'm one of the guys that can like get you to places. And I'm sitting in the production office one day and a production coordinator comes out and says, who wants to work on Sunday? And I was the only person that raised my hand because I was trying to make overtime. And they said, great, you're picking up actors from the airport. And I was like, okay, awesome. So I went to go to a rental car place and rent like these huge Lincoln SUVs. And I'm supposed to go pick up Jamie Foxx, which is a dream for me. I'm like a young, so all I want to do is act, Blake. I don't care about <laughs> writing. I'm like a hungry, I'm, let's say thirsty, a thirsty <laughs> actor who's trying to like get some screen time. And I was so excited to meet Jamie Foxx because that to me was- Because it's Jamie Foxx at that, that year. Like, I mean, only in 2004, he's, double nominated at the Oscars. He wins one. It's it's yeah. a massive, it's a watershed year. And he's like as high since, as he's ever been. Since In Living Color, I'm like, I'm, I've been doing impressions of Jamie Foxx since <laughs> I was a kid. So I was like, this is the biggest movie star I've ever encountered. And uh, I don't think Jamie would mind you telling, uh, mind me telling the world that like he wanted nothing to do with me. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> of course. Like, he was I'm, like, what, what's this motherfucker doing in my face? Like, don't don't bother me right now. Uh, so I, I swiftly took him from the airport to South Beach where he was renting like this beautiful mansion. Everybody was crazy. Like instead of getting a room, they all rented houses for the like four months shoot in Miami and bought cars, no renting cars. Like I'm buying this Lamborghini and then I'll sell it when I leave. It was like the weirdest amount of excess. This is also pre-financial bust. The movie's budget is insane. Like you could fill out any purchase order for anything with production and they would green light all your all your time cards. It was like, whatever. We we have so much money. And it was it was crazy. It was like Miami Vice. Uh, so anyway, I I took Jamie to his place and then I go back for another round to pick up Colin Farrell, who I didn't really know. Like I I I kind of heard of, I think I knew him as Bullseye and Daredevil. Like yeah. that's the level that he had risen to in my mind. I oh no, I'd seen uh SWAT and the recruit. Okay, so I knew a little bit about like where he, what he did as like a young stud cop guy, but I didn't even know he was Irish when I, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I, I was surprised to see his accent. This I wasn't like YouTubing who he was at the time, um, but he got in the SUV and was like, "Hey, what's your name? Take me to a bar," and we never made it to the hotel. <laughs> I wasn't even supposed to be his assistant. Like we just drank from the airport till the next day and I, I man it's it's hazy but a bit like within a week he was like oh i'm supposed to have a pa he has a personal assistant yeah. and his sister and his family and everybody's you know he's got an entourage he said i'm supposed to have a pa that like liaisons between me and the crew do you want that job and i'm like yeah i love that job because i'm in locations right now and and i'd moved from locations to wardrobe I'd, I'd hung out with the wardrobe designer. I took her to Little Haiti and Little Havana to like take photos of authentic clothing of the, of the of, and like we, we the pre-production on the show was like six months of my life where I visited places in my own hometown in Miami that I didn't know existed, like Aryan Brotherhood trailer parks, real life shit where like we, yeah. Michael Mann would every, when you say authenticity, it's insane to think about the way we would like sit down and interview guys who would really run drugs on those boats and get every detail correctly. 
and, and they were so happy to talk to Michael Mann. Like, this is the guy that made Heat. So he had access <laughs> to everyone. Like, the mayor wanted to talk to him. Everywhere you go with Michael, you get full access. Um, yeah, I, I should back up. Before I met Colin, I met Michael. And when Michael Mann is a, is a different thing, like, there's no way to describe it besides to say, like, like whatever Egyptians were feeling when pharaohs walked around, that's how it is in Michael's world. Like, it's the weirdest thing because I've been around a lot of stars and I've been around like big, like big time people. Like I've seen J.J. Abrams in his element, yeah. not like Michael Mann. It's different. It's different. Jamie used to say, Michael's the only motherfucker when you walk in, everybody face the wall like this. <laughs> <laughs> and it's true. It's something so scary about his presence. You 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 talk to him. I don't know if yeah. he, if you felt that at all. Uh, I mean, look, I was, you know, I'm on the end of a phone calling his lovely people in his office who were gracious enough to set it up, who when they put me on hold, it had no hold music. For 15 minutes, Jeff. Is that forward pass offices? Yeah, those offices. Like, oh, actually, this was actually his direct assistant. Oh, I got you. Who set us up. And yeah. so, yeah, she... 15 minutes 10, of radio silence. 15 minutes of radio silence. And I was sitting there and I had myself on mute on my mic. And I was like, I'm, I want to die. Like, I was just like, I, I want to die. I want to die. This is the worst thing ever. But no, it, he was incredibly... Uh, at um absolutely incredibly i mean the nicest possible way is like i know the reputations i know what he's like on set but with me he was but sounding both curious and gracious because uh, he'd come to a person who was uh and he's one of the first things he said to me was like i compliment your obsessions um because he, you know as a man who is so fastidious and obsessive himself like i wasn't someone who was coming to an interview having maybe seen heat twice uh it had right. been pretty clear in the runs on the board and with the people who we'd spoken to to that point that I was maybe the a, a man after his own heart. So I was I have a very different experience with Michael, man, than probably a lot of other human beings in the world. But I didn't have that that intimidation factor of seeing him because I was in Australia, so we were detached. He was going around the world at the time. I think he was just coming back from scouting locations for a potential future project, which eventually turned out to be Tokyo Vice. But yeah, so I, I've never had the the luxury yet because of this goddamn pandemic of getting over to the states and meeting the man himself. Because I'm sure that that would be able to happen. But um, yeah, so but he's so knowledgeable about everything that any topic you get into with him, especially film and his like what he does in his own work. Um, I mean, meticulous doesn't cover it. Like you walk like I walked into a hotel room. When I say hotel room, the top floor of a hotel of the best hotel in Miami, like the entire top floor is his suite. And you like Michael treats himself good too, which is awesome. <laughs> but he works harder than anyone. It's like board after board after board, eight foot tall black foam core boards with every image of the movie. And the movie is in one sweeping form across the, the entire suite. And he lives in the movie and he doesn't go to sleep. And his assistants, like you hear a lot now, there's a big movement in Hollywood to like get more assistant pay to protect hours for PAs because the, you know driving home from set you'll be in an accident this is like the opposite of that this is like you you will work until you feel those sleep deprivation things because he doesn't go to sleep so if he's not asleep you don't sleep and like there was I'm, I'm also remember I worked a little bit on public enemies I, I would that's when I was his his second assistant for oh my the, god and that was totally different than being Colin's cigarette hole. So, okay, back to Miami Vice. My job is literally the go between between a, like a rock star, fucking crazy drug addict, a man who would in two months after the film, like go to rehab and change his whole life. Uh, like he, this was his, his rock bottom movie. So I was dealing, I was his handler and I had Michael Mann who would have me on speed dial, like where's Colin for everything, salsa lessons, boat driving lessons uh like gun range shit like we everything in pre-production there was months of scheduled things that my job was to pick him up he doesn't have a driver's license american one so i'm literally colin you know yes. like where's colin i'm like ah and i i think of michael as like a god he, and the way <laughs> he walks like like he was really my boss i was working for colin but colin would say where are the cigarettes Okay, great. Where's the beer? Okay, great. I'm good. Uh Michael would be, you know, would want things and 
I was always trying to like, th there's something about him. I don't know. There's something about me too. And the kind of people he cultivates in his circle. Cause he has like a group of five or six assistants at all times, but all of us have that same thing where it's like, we would jump in front of traffic for him. Yeah. And it's not that we love him that much. It's just, he, there's, it's really weird. And I, I honestly, in all my work, even today, I was just working on a script this morning. And I think to myself, like, Michael's not asleep. Like that shit sticks with you. Yeah. Year, 20 years later, that guy's not asleep. He never sleeps. He never stops working. And it's the kind of like drive that makes people tell stories like, oh, he, he killed me. He yelled at me. He wouldn't let me go home. It's like, but he is never lazy. So for me, he's that like justifiable Tony Soprano that I, I <laughs> you know. Uh, you see those kinds of people in so many industries or those kinds of personalities where the drive where the people that they are, like even in corporate environments I've been in before, but particularly sporting teams, like coaches who are just like, they just, they seem like lunatics. And then yeah. you talk to their players who are also amazing. And their players are like, he never leaves the facility. He's always watching film. He's always the first guy in there. Sometimes he's the guy that's using our gym equipment in the morning. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply wanting to like get himself charged up for the things. And, and so the things that you hear about Michael, these, you know, these, these long form things and the, you know, the fastidiousness also of like busting your chops on a photo at a location scout, because the expectations that he has of even his location scouts is I want composition, right? Like I want, I don't, I don't just want the area. I want composition because I want to get a feel for, you know, you might make something leap out at him. And obviously he's got so many of the same um, faces that have been working with him for a long time who love this kind of like the way that he works, but man, it just, it's a really fascinating thing. And like, it's, it, these are the mythical things, Jafet, that what you're doing right now, these are the mythical things that people talk about. They think about yeah. them. They go, yes, this is going to happen. Or, or maybe you've heard these things, but you materializing it and also contextualizing to say like, yeah, he just doesn't sleep. So when you're working with him, it is a high pressure thing. It is pretty crazy, but like he put, he, the standards, you know that that old phrase, like the standards you walk past are the standards you accept. Like Michael yeah. sets a standard that is just un, like not not normal humans can't do it. When you mention him in the industry, it's funny. Even around Hollywood, people will think, "Oh yeah, he's a screamer." Michael Mann, Michael Bay. Yeah. I get that a lot. I'm like, yeah. they're not the same. My, I've worked Michael Bay too. Yeah. Michael he does scream a lot, and they're both driven by insecurity. I'm not trying to romanticize it. It's when you're doing precious art and there's millions of dollars on the line, everything's like shut the fuck up. Uh, 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 like you're you're really you're scared that this could all go to pieces. But Michael Bay doesn't stay and grind until, and you don't see him at, at, at like the pre-production meetings that he shouldn't be at, you know, yeah. like demanding four table reads for Miami Vice when you're like, is this normal on a feature? Yeah. Do we do this much rehearsal? Like this is insane. <laughs> Everything was so insane because you know it, because the actors were complaining all the time. They were like, this is the weirdest shit. I remember Dominic uh, Lombardozzi who plays, um, Oh God, now I gotta remember character names. Bald-headed uh, third cop. <laughs> yes, all you need to say is Herc from The Wire and most people will know who you're talking <laughs> Thank about. Thank you. He was like, this shit's crazy, B. They got me out here doing gun training. I got like four lines in this motherfucking movie. And he was at the gun range every day trying to learn how to like use the shotgun because Michael's not gonna let you be on camera and look bad. So a lot of the tension on set is driven by that, by like, you know, he, he, he demands the highest standard. Um, there was also, you know, you hear the stories about the actor tension and there was that too. And I, I like to give context. Like you said, I, I know Jamie was pissed off. Like when he came to this movie, it was no secret that he had just won an Oscar. And now he was number two on the call sheet to a dude who was like doing soap operas in Ireland a couple years ago, you know, like he was pissed off. He was like, how am I number two? What is not that you could make tubs above Crockett, but get me someone better. Why is this not Tom? Like, cause we did collateral. Why is, you know what yeah. I mean? Yes. Like why, who is this guy? So he treated Colin 
horribly. And subsequently, I, I kind of got some of that shit too. But I get it. Now that I'm an, I'm an actor and a writer, like there's some of that posturing that if you don't do, you lose value within the industry. Your next quote is like, well, you were on that movie. Why don't you do that? You Like everything in Hollywood is perception. So there was this thing of like, they were like trying to buy cars that were better than each other on their downtime and trying to go to like nightclub parties on South Beach. Like, Colin goes to the Versace mansion. Jamie rents out the Versace mansion. Like it was like that. <laughs> this is getting insane. It was getting crazy, crazy, crazy. A lot of nights like that where they would be at the same party and not talk to each other. And, and because I'm right there next to Colin, like you need some water. It's just like, what's going on? <laughs> but I think a lot of that was driven by, again, insecurity. When you're at that echelon, it's like, what if this all goes away? You don't meet a lot of the a-listers who are just totally comfortable and life is good <laughs> no but it's also to be super fair he's also fighting as an african-american man in hollywood who's just had maybe like i don't even a, definitely a hist historic night and totally worthy of winning potentially two oscars on a night and he i think what people probably fail to appreciate is almost everyone who wins an Oscar universally, the next thing, what is the unfathomable level of pressure that is the <laughs> next thing after you do that? And so not only has he done, he's done a man movie in Ali. That was a bit of a breakout, a huge surprise yep. in a movie that I think is deeply undervalued. But then yep. he moves into moves into collateral and he's like toe to toe with Tom Cruise in a, like a chamber piece that's a, a moving chamber piece through LA um, so so much of him is just like them just consistently going toe to toe all night which is one of the great pleasures of that movie and so then he does Ray obviously which is kind of as like the, the biopic that broke them because everything else just tried to be Ray after that like walk the line and Ray it's just like they're the book ends and everything else is just parody and nonsense most so of the time. true like what if we just do personal life professional life AB storyline cross cut yeah Network. like what if we just do exactly that that has just happened <laughs> over and over again and yes they're going to be a down and, and then they come back up and what all that nonsense right the arcs and all those things are just very predictable um but yeah, you can't imagine what it's like. This is a guy who was on In Living Color, was a stand-up, has now literally on top of the world, has like number ones in the charts thanks to like guest spots with Kanye West, is an Oscar winner, multiple-time Oscar winner in the same, uh, multiple-time Oscar nominee in the same year. And yeah, you're just screaming out for the next movie not to be, you know, I stealth know. or whatever. I think <laughs> one of the next movies was stealth. You know what I'm saying? Yep. Like it's... Oh, can I tell you a side note about missed opportunities? I'm in Colin's trailer. We're shooting all night shoots. My advice felt like it was all night shoots. And he has his own personal Airstream, this cool fucking aluminum trailer that he loves. And uh, this package comes from CAA, uh, which is, for those of you that don't know, an agency, uh, his agency, one of, the, one of the majors. And it's like a bunch of scripts. And the top one is this thing from a little unknown nobody who we didn't know at the same time as us was making Batman in Chicago. Uh, <laughs> Christopher Nolan's script called Prestige. And Colin is being offered the role that Hugh Jackman plays. And he and oh. there's two scripts in this package. The other script is Cops in Chicago. What is this thing that he did with Ed Norton? His next movie. Uh, Pride and Glory? Pride, is that what it's called? Yeah, uh, Pride no, and no, Glory. No, no, oh, no, I might have got that wrong. That, it's but, yeah, whatever it is, but, it's him and Ed Norton, 2006, and like they're brothers in an Irish cop family. It's one of those forgettable. And I like, I'm not saying Prestige is the best movie ever, but when I read it, I was. It is getting, Pride and Glory. He's Jimmy Egan. Yes. Yeah. Like when you read that script, it was like, okay, I mean, yeah, that's like what you did with Pacino. And it just felt like another dark alleyway type thing where you read prestige you were like magicians and medieval what is this you know <laughs> and like it was weird and then it had that ending that made you go what the hell am i reading and me and his other assistant a lovely gentleman named michael o'connor who you should have on if you can get him uh, worked with him for years and years was like this is the best thing we've ever read and he was like ah i really want to work with ed norton <laughs> So those are the things that you see happen and then you see the trajectory of just careers and how things end up. And you're like, man, I don't, 
I don't know how, I don't know what choices would have ended up how or what, you know what I mean? Yeah, he's, he's such a fascinating character, Colin. So uh, uh, let's, let's focus on Colin for a second. Yeah. He's a guy who I guess now like on the record is like, and understandably, he was a guy who had some substance abuse issues. Like he said, he was at his kind of rock bottom when he came into Vice. And, you know, he, he went recently on one of the Ringer podcasts with a couple of guys there. I'm not sure what show it was. I think it might have even been Bill Simmons' podcast. Um, but it had a couple of their regular crew talking to him. And he's like, look, I don't really remember much of Miami Vice, if I'm really, if I'm really honest. Like, he's like, I don't, I actually don't remember much of it because it was just like, for whatever reason, I don't remember. And that is something that Jaffet, we've talked about on the show because I've like, I've come to like coined this phrase. I'm like, Colin's not there. Like why I think it's maybe one of the most amazing performances that's ever committed to screen is because it is so authentically unpredictable <laughs> and riddled with machismo that you are looking in his eyes. Why it's one of those truly like magnetic performances is you are looking at him and you do not see any Colin Farrell there. There's no mm. Colin Farrell in this performance. None for me. When I watch it and I watch it all, pretty much like a stack of his movies, if not most or all of them, but you look at him in other movies and he is making deliberate choices and he's a very good actor in yeah. a lot of those sequences. Like you only have to look at like Minority Report as a, as a, as an antithesis to this. And this is a guy Cal who like. Very calculated in that movie. Yeah. 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 Extremely calculated and just like big swing and dick energy against yeah. Tom Cruise. And you're like, who the fuck is this guy? Like he's amazing. And, but that's what I want to talk to you about, like in these situations. Obviously, you know, mindful. I don't want you to get too personal, or whatever. But like, what are your memories of him like working? Because yeah. like, this is the thing. Like, I just marvel. I watch him on the screen. So all I have is the movie. Um, but so I would. He, he he had times. Okay, so a lot of it was like spontaneous like he was letting things just happen i remember like a week before first day of filming and this because pre-production i'd never seen a movie pre pre-produced this long i spent so much time with these people before we ever got to filming i remember the first ad michael waxman looking at me and going i can't wait to start shooting yeah. like this, this is the worst part when we start shooting everything will get rolling because we were doing so much prep um so yeah like a week before day one he said i don't think i found a voice yet I can't do Irish, but like <laughs> accent. And I was like, oh, like, what do you mean? And he was like sitting down, just having a drink, like really existentially. Like, I don't know what Sonny Crockett sounds like. Like, I know he grew up in Texas and moved to Florida. Like he had a deep book. Michael does not mess around on research. So Sonny Crockett is like a human with a whole life, like a Bible of of things that come to you and, and like a, a tour through this man's life. So yeah, I remember him feeling like, I don't know what I'm going to do when the cameras start rolling. I'm just going to go with it. And yeah. one of the first things we shot was the club mansion scene, like like one of the beginning scenes of that movie, we like 150 extras dancing around inside of club mansion, like this big South Beach club. That's like we amazing to get access to. And yeah, just watching him walk around. I remember I remember I'm a young actor, so I'm like 24. And all I wanted to do was act. So I'm standing next to A-list actors. I'm like taking mental notes. And I remember going, they're not doing anything. Yeah. Like they're not, they're not doing things. They're just being there. And that, so it felt fascinating even being right next to him. Um, the, the prep work he, Look, some actors like like prep. He didn't like prep. He didn't like working out. Like I, I remember Jamie was in the gym trying to get all ripped up and Colin was like, I, I'm forced to do these. The salsa dancing, he loved working with Gong Lee. So this is what's crazy. His process was, I'm gonna meet my co-star and really just fall in love with her. You know, like there yeah. was not really a romantic relationship, but there was this respect because Gong Lee was coming to this movie as the Julia Roberts of China. Yes. The, like the most famous actress that had ever walked the planet in, in a huge continent that we don't even know who she is. <laughs> yeah, well, like um, very recently, there's just been this like amazing, um, amazing collaborations box set that's come out with the films of Zhang Ji Mao, who was in a relationship with Gong Li and yes. Gong Li. And it's like eight or nine insanely massive, huge films. Two of them, Raise the Red Lantern and To Live, which are basically like two of maybe the best movies ever made. Yes. And so like, she's like, insane like so i'm coming to this all late too like about where she, where she is but when she comes on the screen i mean when i met her i was like the chinese lady they're like yeah she's a big fucking deal like, <laughs> yeah. oh 
okay. But so they spent time in pre-production just cuddling on couches. Like we'd go to VIP areas of everywhere in Miami and they would just sit together and talk and she doesn't speak English. So she has an interpreter sitting next to her and they're cuddling. And then she would turn the interpreter and then she'd cuddle again. It was just like the most romantic, like best friends who just needed each other. And I know a lot of it was Colin, Colin emotionally at the time was like, his family wasn't there with him. This was the first movie where his sisters weren't his assistants. So I had the privilege and also like weird responsibility of kind of like, you know, you do these therapy sessions where you would like be driving with him and trying to like, just tell him, you know, like, you're, you're great, dude, you're going to be fine. This, that scene was amazing. Like just from set to the trailer would sometimes there'd be moments where he was like, I don't know. He told me a story from the recruit of Al Pacino standing in his underwear, getting out of wardrobe and saying, we didn't fucking get it, kid. And he said, he said to me, I don't think you'll ever get to a point where you leave set feeling satisfied. You know, like there was things like that. Like he was very existential and deep. Colin would like write long poems in Sharpie on cloth, tablecloths at like five star restaurants. He would just start like fucking, I'm just feeling it now. You know, like he was a crazy weird bohemian man. We're walking through the Dominican Republic once. Um, so we filmed everywhere, man. We went to like Argentina, Paraguay, Cuba. It was crazy how many locations we just would jet set to. And we were walking through the favelas of Brazil, like in a very dangerous part of town. And like gutter water is raining off the thing and all these poor kids with no shoes just running around this crazy movie crew that's in their town. I remember Colin being like, stop to have a drink of the gutter water because I want to taste the city. You know, like that kind of like. <laughs> you're, like right? you're like, dude, I don't want to have to take you to get a shot. Is that like, like this is insurance? Like this movie will shut down. We actually had to shut down. We had an injury. Um, I don't know how much I'm allowed to say. I don't care. Like he had, he had an injury to his chest. He popped part of his chest, which on paper for Universal Pictures was from lifting weights in preparation. But really, it was a night of way too much fun with like you know four or five people from the bar. It was like, ow, ow, what's that? Next day, X-ray. Uh, we got to push back shooting for two weeks, and it was like. We need a good story. Like it was a lot of that, you know? Um, so I got to be in the inner circle of his life for that whole year. And it was crazy. Like we had a, we had a, we had a, a code word. Hello. Sorry to interrupt this regularly scheduled Miami Nice episode, but once again, Jafet is sharing something that I'm not sure we can air. So in the spirit of keeping this show not cancelled, you're not hearing it. We heard it. You're not hearing it. And back to the show. So for me, having never been on a movie set, I thought this is what movies were like. I was like, this is crazy. Every night's a party after you shoot until like almost till call time the next day. And people are all like dragging ass to get to set because everybody was crazy last night because they're all on location in a party town, you know? Yeah. Um, so I just thought I like I didn't understand until I got to LA. I, I subsequently moved out here and started working in like regular shows and TV. And <laughs> people just have lives. These are normal fathers and mothers and people. So tell me this. When all yeah. those actors are there, obviously it's chaos. It's like one of the last halcyon days of like, you know, that I guess a pre a pre me too. Let's call it the pre me too sets or like the pre bus sets because I think everything does pivot significantly then. Mm -hmm. When was it? When were they like? Did they ever at any point think that? what they were doing was like spot on because I think that is Michael Mann still gushes about Pacino, right? As an actor, he calls fearless. And as mm -hmm. a guy who is so prepared, gives you what he wants. And then often does that thing where he looks at Michael and goes, did we get it? Cause he doesn't know. Like he's, mm -hmm. he's so fearless. And so he's, his expectations are so like all over the map. He's like, did you get what you want? And Michael's like, yeah, I got what I wanted. And he's like, okay, well let me try six or seven more improvisational crazy reads or whatever. And so it's interesting that they got to work together before this movie. But did at any point when they were there, did they go like, like, no, some of this is awesome shit. Like, it's great. Like, I mean, especially if Gong Li and Colin, these two foreigners, essentially, are having this amazing connection 
and just like, you know, basically forming this insane friendship because, uh, you know, and helping each other be the outsiders in this whole crew that resonates like their, their connection resonates on the screen that every frame drips with this energy of these people having this insane closeness. And so I wonder, like, did you ever feel when you were there times on set, like that you're watching them and they're like, Oh, this is, this is working. Or was it always this chaos? It, there's times where you walk over to Video Village and there's like little moments that, that again, I don't know how much your your listeners know about movie sets. I'm just dropping no, no, all. No, no, you can't. So, so uh, explain, because I know, but I'd love oh, to Oh, yeah. So it. Video Village is the, the, the little place where there's monitors on set, like where you can watch the footage that's being shot. It's where you would, as a director and VIP sit there, a DP might sit there. Sometimes there's focus pullers. It's a little like chill spot but my michael mann's video village is not very chill it's a lockdown sometimes it's a tent that you're not allowed in unless you can zip it um but yeah there's times where you see in video village this is so cool actually i got yelled at once on set for saying looking over his shoulder and going oh that's awesome and they turned around and were like shut up you know and like, like i didn't realize what I didn't realize I didn't know anything. It was probably you know? a ref- so, it was a re- it was a reflex. You're a, you're a baby in terms of I'm being so on a film dumb. set. I'm, and you're just I, like, recently this happened to me on one of my own sets. Like I literally this happened to me. Uh, one of my assistants, a PA, she was so sweet. She goes, "That looks so much better than before." And I was like, "Don't don't say that because you don't know the fight <laughs> that went into like what if we just change the color let's move this couch over there and and the debates and then studio comes in and says the whole fucking thing and then you walk over with your dumbass hundred dollar a day no check like you're not you have no input in the creative process and you go that looks great and everyone's like what yeah, are you yeah you- of course it looks great no. Jafet. of course you know you've been here for six months Um, uh, i'm so embarrassed now but like i was trying you know no you're a baby oh my god you were a baby on that set man like and obviously and obviously you're a baby on that set and it's not a normal set no no it was crazy i didn't know what i I thought i was gonna be working on this movie for a couple of weeks and it was literally 13 months it was like a whole year of my life and then it changed everything for me but to get back to your question yeah was there ever moments of like this is awesome yeah when we were shooting so like in the cuba sequence when colin and and gong lee go off to cuba together that love making and the shower that's them a bottle of wine closed set jafet get out of here everybody get the fuck out of here we just want to be alone and film this. So I, I, I didn't even see that made. I got to watch that at the premiere and go, damn, what is happening right now? Like, yeah. um, I don't know if this is a secret, but like, like Jamie's, Jamie has a shower scene, but Naomi Harris has a body double. So oh, it's wow. like, it's, that's not, it's an intimacy with some girl who came on set for that one day. Hi, nice to meet you. Take off your clothes. Let's rub each other, right? It's like not the same vibe. Because uh, Naomi Harris was very insecure about, well, I don't want to be, I don't want to do the full nudity. Uh, whereas Colin and Gong Li were like, just give us a bottle of wine, like a real bottle. We don't need props. Let us just enjoy being with each other and roll the camera. And it turns out it's amazing. I do think that's what some of my favorite stuff in the movie. But most of the stuff that would get the crew jazzed up, like when we watch a sizzle reel, which is something they present to the crew to make you feel good halfway through shooting so you can get your kind of morale up. It was all like boats and fucking guns. And it was so cool to watch that shot of the camera coming up out of the water and the boats coming by, like, cause we spent all day with that damn crane trying to get the, (laughs) once we saw it on screen, it was like, that's, that. it felt amazing. I felt like this must be, this is gonna be the best movie ever. You know, that's (laughs) how I felt. (laughs) So what happened? Uh, What happened? I, I mean, I guess I'm building up because like, Spoken about Colin. Well, actually, let me, no, let me I, preempt you with this. Before we, before we get to that, actually, I've got another question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's it like watching Michael on set in the moment? Okay, so the, everybody knows, everybody that's worked with him knows this impression of him, which is this. He has a, a tick that he does, and I've adopted it recently, and I realize it's not a tick. It's telling all the frustrated bad shit to get away from you. So he, like, like, you know, once every 60 seconds, he goes like this. <sighs> He'll just be talking to you and go, ah, it's like, so he'll do that a lot. You know how relatable that is? So for people who are just listening. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. For people who are just listening, it's scrunching up your shoulders, 
and those your traps in your traps is like where all of your stress is right in the whole world and so scrunching it up and then just releasing it and being like oh okay. the mini massage yeah wow katie i yep. mean cliffhanger cliffhanger <laughs> i just i mean i don't know if anyone like me like knew that they had a vacancy in their heart until i heard grab a bottle of wine take gong lee and colin farrell into a shower together and let's just make this happen I didn't know I had that sized hole in my heart, but now that I've heard it, I am feeling complete in a way uh, that is just yeah, thrilling. Yeah, you've, you've got a, a new layer of understanding <laughs> of of, uh, of all the ins and outs of <laughs> ins Miami and outs. Ins and outs, indeed. Um, uh, or, you know, like a movie. bottle of wine, a, a couch to cuddle on in a Miami club. <laughs> I mean, just everything. Just everything. everything. Guys, thank you so much for listening to Miami Nice. Uh, obviously, you're listening to the great Katie Walsh. Um, you can find her on Twitter at, at Katie Walsh STX. You can find me at One Blake Minute. Also, oneheatminute.com for all of our episodes, all of our back catalogue. You can go and check those out and all of our other shows. Katie um, is on one of also uh, a fan favourite episode in the One Heat Minute series, our digression into Den of Thieves. Lots of people still <laughs> listening. I think people dive back into really? that to get to get the, to get uh, to get caught up on uh, on where Katie and I, my friendship really truly. That's where our um, partnership. Uh, the partnership solidified was solidified. Like, when I said, I'm making you watch this <laughs> and record an episode about it, and you were like, Please God, no! And I said, Do it anyway. <laughs> and now we're we do this <laughs> so check so check that out um that's really fun uh we will catch you on the next episode of miami nice which is of course this is only a part one part two part of our, two of our conversation with jaffet gordon is coming up and uh uh you might need another couple maybe three mojitos <laughs> for the last bit of this conversation yes. get even more mojitos <laughs> Hi, this is Blake Howard, host and producer of One Heat Minute Productions podcast. We dive into the great and underappreciated cinematic works, often one minute or one scene at a time. Our crew of guests are some of the most wonderful filmmakers, writers, authors, and critics ever assembled. Our shows include One Heat Minute, Josie and the Podcats, All the President's Minutes, Increment Vice, and right now, Zodiac Chronicle. Check out oneheatminute.com or find us wherever you get your podcasts.